I'm going to start today's show in a more unconventional way. I'm going to diss the NCAA. And I have three particular incidents that are sort of making me want to hash out these feelings per se. So I'd like to begin going back to March. The NCAA tournaments, the basketball tournaments, excuse me, took place in bubble centralized locations. The men's tournament had all the fix-ins, a super fancy weight room, swag bag, food, you name it. The women's tournament, eh, not so much. If you saw pictures of their weight room, and if you check out at Sedona on TikTok, that's Sedona Prince, scroll back down. The stuff you will see is pretty shocking. So the VP of basketball operations apologized right away, saying we should never have let this happen. Yeah, cool. Mark Emmert, on the other hand, the president of the NCAA, made excuses, saying, oh, I don't know how this happened. Shame on Mark Emmert. That should never have happened in the first place. That's number one. Number two, I'd like to defend the Oklahoma State Cowboys because those basketball players right now are being punished for something that didn't even happen while they were even at school. Right? That, that doesn't make sense to me. The Cowboys were banned from the NCAA tournament this past year due to NIL violations from a few years ago. And the players on the team weren't even, on, weren't even at the school then. That doesn't make sense. Number three. This is a little bit less serious, in my opinion. In fact, it's much less serious, but this is where it hits my breaking point. You have two top five matchups last weekend between Villanova and UCLA and Texas and Gonzaga. They, the start times are at 11.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. This coming Tuesday, November 23rd, we'll talk about this a little more in depth later. It's a 1-2 matchup between UCLA and Gonzaga. It starts at 10 p.m. So, perhaps the only three top five matchups in college basketball's regular season are all starting at 10 p.m. or later. That's preposterous. And you know why it bugs me so much? Because you have these little kids, like 8, 9, 10-year-olds. I mean, Nick and I, it's fine for us because we're in college, but you have 8, 9, 10-year-olds who live on the East Coast that can't stay up to watch the biggest, brightest matchups in college basketball because it's way, way past their bedtime. That's ridiculous. And whomever came up with that needs to be fired. Whomever scheduled that needs to be fired. Nick, what say you? I agree with everything you just said, Liam. Um, talking about last year between the men and the women in the tournament, it was inexcusable. It was inexcusable for the men to have 20 times what the women had. Um, I know they did eventually make some changes after enough social media pictures and videos came out but that was really the public forcing that hey the women need more they need more equipment in their gym they need better facilities they need better food it wasn't the ncaa making this own decision on themselves it was millions of people random strangers coming together and uniting around this women's and the college basketball players and the women um and when you talk about the late night games, I don't agree. I don't disagree with that either because you look at it. I think it's all right for them. Obviously, it's a bit earlier, seven o'clock out there in the West Coast. But start it a bit earlier if you're going to have these prime time games on the East Coast. It's not like the players are going to their outer class at four o'clock and they have to miss a game or miss a class. They're not going to class anyways. They're not going to their class on game days, even if they have class at nine in the morning. They're not going to that. So I agree with I I agree, Liam. I know the the NCAA's got a lot of issues and they started making progress towards people liking them again with the NIL stuff. There's still a long way to go though. Don't get me wrong. 
Long is an understatement, but we got a great show planned now, and here to help me break everything that's happened over the past few weeks down, my man Nick Zelaya. Let's give it up. <laughs> Thank you for having me in. It's, it's been a long time, but I'm excited to be on this. Yeah, so we were gone last week because I came down with the flu, which stank. But at the same time, I get to have you, you on, feeling? which is... How are you feeling now? I'm feeling much better, thank you. Okay. So, but And we get to actually start off with a bit of a live reaction because our two basketball teams just squared off. The Boston Celtics dominate the Los Angeles Lakers 130-105. to 105. And, Nick, I want to... I don't want to rub it in your face too much, So, but I'll ask this. Was this game good Celtics or bad Lakers or a combo of the two? You know, I think it's a combination of the two. And I, I don't like that answer. That's a generic answer. I'd want to give one side. But when you look at it as a whole, you get LeBron James back. So you think for the Lakers, it's they're going to turn it around. Um, the numbers show it. The team plays better when LeBron's on the court. But they didn't. They didn't play better at all. Anthony Davis played well. LeBron played well. Those two, they did their thing on the offensive side. But as a team defensively, the Lakers were horrendous. And it was another third quarter choke by the team. And that's been the story for the Lakers this season. When you look at the Celtics, you don't have Jalen Brown. So what are you going to do? Schroeder steps up. Marcus Smart steps up. Jason Tatum puts up 40. So really, I mean, it was good Celtics. It was the Celtics team stepping up in a big way when their second star wasn't available. And it was the Lakers looking bad, especially on defense. They couldn't hit shots on offense. So for me personally, it, Liam, it was it was really both. So I think the interesting part of this is that the Celtics scored – 30 or more points in every single quarter of basketball that was played. The Lakers scored 38 of 108 in the first quarter. So they scored 70 throughout the last three quarters. That's not going to cut it against the big dogs. So, and I think you made a ton of great points. I mean, Schroeder had 21, Smart had 22, Big Al had 18, Richardson had 15 off the bench, and then Tatum, the big dog, had 37. Anthony Davis had 31 points. 15 of them were in the first quarter. LeBron, yeah, he played well, but he didn't play great. Carmelo had a good game off the bench, but one thing I want to talk about is Russell Westbrook looked absolutely terrible. Every time he took a jump shot, I started jumping for joy because I knew the odds were that he was going to break it. I mean, I don't know why this kid is still shooting jump shots these days. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I wish I could. Um he shoot whether it's free throw line, mid-range, three-pointer, it doesn't matter. If it's outside the paint, the chance of it actually going inside the basket is slim to none at this point with Russell Westbrook. And it's still early in the season. Oh, There's yeah. Oh, still yeah. months. It's only November. At this the Lakers, point. So the Lakers still have 65 games left to be played. However, I think it's safe to say that some of the experts with their concerns about shooting were correct without question. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. And they've been, the Lakers have been very lucky because they're, they've been nights where Carmelo's came and shot, thir- put up 30 points. You didn't expect that when you signed him to this you know, 36 year old Carmelo Anthony to a one year deal. You don't expect him to put 30 points. That won them some games. Malik Monk's not going to come out every night and sh- put up 30 points. I mean, they've been getting some sparks from guys where they didn't expect these giant sparks. You need a player that's going to consistently shoot the ball if you're the Lakers, and they don't have that guy. They don't have the best three point shooter all season has looked like LeBron James, and that's not going to cut it against 
any team really in the NBA. And that's not to say LeBron is a bad three-point shooter, but Mm-mm. I know a few guys who live down the road in Syracuse that would probably provide a big spark for the Lakers <laughs> team right now. But I, yeah, probably. All right. Well, let's move on to an NBA team that has just completely taken the league by storm. Nick, the Golden State Warriors look legit. Fourteen and two. They're on a three-game winning streak right now, which ugh, doesn't look all that impressive for a team that's fourteen and two. The fact of the matter is, is that they're still fourteen and two. They've won ten of eleven and fourteen of sixteen in the early going. And the scary thing is, is that this team doesn't have Klay Thompson yet. They haven't had James Wiseman, so I don't see how you can't call them a championship contender at this point. No, you can't. And the way they played against the Nets last night. I mean, they just they dominated them. It wasn't a close game. The Brooklyn Nets had no chance to beat the Warriors. One seventeen to ninety nine. Yeah, it was almost a twenty point, eighteen point blowout. Um, all in favor. Steph Curry did his thing. He's the easy front runner for MVP. Without question. Um, yeah, he's he's putting up career numbers. I think he's on pace for close to five hundred three pointers made this season, which is ridiculous it would probably break one of his records because he's the only one that holds three-point records at this point um but yeah you mentioned it clay thompson's gonna come back eventually so is james wiseman jordan Poole has been oh, good um, most improved been, player most improved player jordan Poole. I, top three i think he's top three right now um absolutely it's helped that he's developed over the last couple of years while the warriors have been struggling so that once he gets to this point where they really do need him, he has that NBA experience where he can go out there and put up 15, 20, 25 points alongside Stephen Curry. Um, Draymond Green has had his good nights. He's had some bad nights. But when he's been good, he puts up his weird stat lines of six points, eight rebounds, seven assists. But he, he does his thing on both sides of the ball. He's a difference maker. Um, this this seems scary, and I don't know if there's any team right now, if the playoffs were to start, it's still early, still early, like I said, but if the playoffs were to start right now, I don't see any team able to beat the Warriors in a seven-game series. The only team I think that could contest them is Phoenix, only because they've won 10 in a row. Mm-hmm. And Phoenix, yeah, and Phoenix, Phoenix can shoot the ball, too. They, can, just like the they can shoot the ball. They can light it up. One uh, thing I will say that I think is really, really being swept under the rug with this Golden State team is over the past the past two seasons, ever since they lost to the Raptors in the finals, they have not had a key piece from that team. And that key piece has been playing elsewhere over the past few years. His name, Andre Iguodala. Yes, mm-hmm. he's old. Yes, he doesn't stuff the stats, uh, excuse me, stat sheet like he used to. However, at the same time, I think his value to those championship teams was severely underrated. It, it was almost ridiculous to me because take a look at 2018 when Iguodala went down against the Rockets. They almost lost their identity, allowed Houston to get back in the series and come very close to winning that series as well. Mm-hmm. So this in mind, I think it can't be understated, first of all. Second, yes, they are absolutely championship contenders. Three, I think I look pretty smart for calling that they would win the chip about a month ago. Yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah. Iguodala, I mean, he won the finals MVP in 2015, the first of their three championships. And you mentioned it. He doesn't stat pad. You're not going to see him putting up big numbers on the sheets. But on the court and then off the court for these younger guys, Poole, um, Gary Payton, James Wiseman, 
Kaminga, all these younger guys are going to look at a leader like Andre Iguodala who knows how to win championships and they'll learn from that off the court and then apply it to on the court and it turns into 14 and two seasons through your first 16 games. One one other thing is that you've got the flamboyant, a little boisterous leader in Draymond Green. I think Iguodala really neutralizes that in an outstanding mm-hmm. way and it is absolutely going to make this Warriors team match. All right, well, let's move on to the Eastern Conference and some favorites that we had in the early going aren't exactly lighting it up so far. At the time of recording, the Sixers are 9 and 7, the Knicks are 8 and 7, and the Bucks are 7 and 8. I know Philadelphia and Milwaukee in particular have been ravaged with injuries, COVID in the case of Joel Embiid. But at the same time, you take a look at the East top dogs, Brooklyn, Miami. All right. Then you've got Chicago, Washington, and Charlotte. I don't think anyone expected that. No, not at all. Um, Chicago, it's not surprising, though. I don't think people thought they would be well, but they have t- a lot of talent on the team. They made great decisions in the offseason to pick up DeRozan, who people thought was a big, big overpay. He signed three years, $80 million or something, and this is a guy who – really is nearing the end of his career as a veteran at this point and assigned him that much money. So it's a big question, but it's turning out to be valuable. Lonzo is learning how to shoot the ball, which is huge. Finally, for the Bulls. finally, 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 he's learning something from his little brother and Vucevic, who's been dealing with COVID the last couple of weeks. I think he's just getting back, but he's been a giant pickup last year. They traded for him. The Bulls are a scary team that could really, yeah. if you can find a way to stop a guy like Giannis or Kevin Durant in the playoffs, this is a Bulls team that could shock some people, maybe make a run for the Eastern Conference Finals. I I agree wholeheartedly, and DeRozan is averaging 27 a game. One of the guys you didn't mention, Zach Levine, is averaging mm-hmm. 26 a game. But the real, I think that the story that's being swept under the rug is Lonzo Ball. Oh my goodness, he finally learns how to shoot, and this Bulls team is going to new heights. They really are, and I think Lonzo Bull may have the highest basketball IQ out of any player in the NBA. One of my buddies from Houston is a huge Lonzo fan and has been chirping me about him for the past five years, as long as he's been in the NBA. In fact, since he's been at UCLA. But there was, I think, I don't remember if it was during the preseason or the regular season. A few weeks ago, it was... A crazy loose ball play. Lonzo was trying to dive it, prevent it from going back court, and threw it off a defender's legs out of bounds. I think I remember seeing that. That yeah. was one of the smartest things I've ever mm-hmm. seen someone do on a basketball court. And I've been watching basketball for 10, 12, some odd years. So, yeah. not as experienced and, as, you know, Stephen A., but at the same time, it's still a pretty long time. And you make a play like that, you're instantly going to garner a ton of respect on and off the court. And... I think I've gone pretty harsh on Lonzo Ball over the years, and I think the main reason for that is because his father is such a doofus. But now that he's out of the spotlight, I'm finally starting to respect his game a lot. And LeVar's looking like a genius now. He's looking like a genius now. But no, I mean, and it's all these former Lakers are doing well. I, I, as the Laker fan, I look around, especially in the Eastern Conference, I see the Bulls, Alonzo, and Alex Caruso playing well. And then the Wizards, who are 11-3 and three at this point, Kyle Kuzma's Kuzma, playing Montrez well. Harrell. Montrez Harrell's playing well. I mean, all these former Lakers 
are doing well in their other teams. I wonder if the LA spotlight really is a big thing for these guys. And it's nice. I'm not, Chicago's not that much smaller market, but it's not Los Angeles. It certainly is an interesting thing to factor in. And I'll take it to baseball. Pablo Sandoval couldn't handle the Boston spotlight. And I know you're not as big of a baseball guy because you're a Mets fan. And I need, (laughs) I need, I say anymore. I mean, yeah, big (laughs) market spotlight is definitely a thing. And, in Kuzma's defense, he was on a championship team, but at the same time, you see Ingram in New Orleans striving as well. Mm-hmm. All right, Ingram. let's move into the NFL where Antonio Brown just cannot seem to stay out of the spotlight. <laughs> as According to his chef, do I have this correctly? His chef so. made His chef made the claim that Antonio Brown presented a fake vaccine card and... <laughs> I'm not even surprised at this point. I'm not surprised at all. No. No, I mean, I I read that when it first came out, and I was like, really? But then I looked myself, and I'm like, this is Antonio Brown. I'm not, I'm not surprised he came up with some formation like this, some some way to get in trouble. It's, it's like he has a checklist. He's trying to get in trouble every single season that he's in the NFL. What, whatever the instances are of this season this year, it's COVID and vaccines. Okay, let me come with a fake COVID card and find a way to get in trouble. And now the NFL is cracking down on this. He'll probably get fined. He'll probably get suspended, honestly. And he's having a good season with Tom Brady. I, I, I don't know how to get Antonio Brown not in trouble through a full 17-game season. And I think the timing of this is really, really interesting. And here's why. Because just a few short weeks ago, the whole Aaron Rodgers thing started about how he claimed he was immunized. Yeah, I'm going to keep you that, – try, that, try saying that five times fast on this show. It'll, it'll, come up, it'll come up often, trust me. And then presenting his whole – nonsense research to the NFL, trying to get an alternate form of immunization, proof, whatever you want to call it. The NFL denied it, and he gave the media the impression that he was vaccinated, and lo and behold, he wasn't, got COVID. And that's that's where I take issue. If you are unvaccinated, that's your right. I'm not going to hold that against you. Most people aren't going to hold that against you. Just follow the protocol, and no one's really going to care. But... A fake vaccine card? I mean, are you kidding me? That's just that's just dumb. That's just dumb. It, it, it is dumb, and I'm sure he's been breaking COVID protocols oh, sure he's given throughout the season. I'm sure this is not the first instance that he's done something wrong. And then it all depends on how long he gets suspended at this point and say Mike Evans or Chris Godwin get hurt and they need someone to step up. He won't be there because he wanted to have a fake COVID, COVID card. I... I don't know what to tell you, Liam. I don't know what to tell you about this guy. And, you know, I think that another thing I didn't mention is that Tampa Bay just got humiliated by, honestly, a bad Washington football team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's honestly salt in the wounds at this point because if you're going to put up duds like that against WFT, I don't care that it's in Landover. How are you expecting to beat Green Bay? How are you expecting to beat the Cardinals? How are you expecting to beat the Rams? Speaking of the Rams... Odell Beckham Jr. is now a Los Angeles Ram, but since our last episode, the Rams have gotten flattened by Tennessee. Stafford threw two pick sixes in the game. It was tough to watch. Then they sign OBJ, and then they get humiliated by a banged-up Niners team on Monday Night Football. So the past two weeks have really been uninspiring for the Rams at that, and I think the Odell Beckham Jr. signing is 
the, or rather the timing of it is kind of, is not kind of, very interesting. So what do you make of the Rams' struggles, and do you think Odell Beckham Jr. can actually be a serious piece on this team trying to compete for a championship, in fact, going all in for one? You know, I'm not opposed to the move because this is a Pro Bowl receiver, very talented NFL receiver, who can fill in and get you some good catches and provide you some good numbers going on late in the season. But it's just my thing with signing players this late in the season is you have such a constructed roster and you lose Robert Woods for the season, which is tough. You need someone else to step up. But Van Jefferson has proved himself over the last few weeks that he can be that second receiver maybe. You have Tyler Higbee. You obviously have Cooper Cup, Darrell Henderson in the backfield. I mean, this is a team that's very talented already. And to throw a guy like OBJ in the mix who has off-field issues, he has locker room issues, he likes to cause drama, it's just it's tough to see a team do that. When you're 7-2, and two, things are rolling. You had that tough loss to Tennessee. You go into San Francisco, and they obliterate you. Everything went right for the 49ers and went wrong for the Rams in that game. And it's, it's just, I like the ro- the roster the Rams had constructed already. And the 49ers forced a lot of questions onto the Rams. And yeah. if I'm Sean McVay, I, I don't know where to put OBJ in the depth chart or the mix at this point. And another thing with the Rams is that, I hate to rub it in, but they did just trade for your boy Von Miller. So that, yeah, I, I that sort of sparked the you know, all-in philosophy, at least in our eyes. But no, I want to yeah, definitely. I want to look down the as line. As, oh, as a Bron- as a Bronco fan, I would want to see Von Miller win. So if I because the Broncos the Broncos are not winning the Super Bowl this year, I'll tell you that much right now. The Broncos are not Super Bowl contenders. But if I had one team, I would want to see the Rams win it because of Von Miller. All right, so they have a bye this week. Probably couldn't have been at a better time for them, mm-hmm. given what they've done over the past two weeks. Then they've got at Green Bay. Mm. That's a test. Then they've got the Jaguars. At Cardinals, oh boy. Seattle, yeah, Seattle's not the team they've been in the past, but they're still a threat. At Minnesota, I still don't know what to make of that team. At Baltimore, then the Niners again. So, I think the grand scheme of the Rams' schedule is, for the most part, fairly tough. And we're going to learn a lot about this team nine days from now when they are playing the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field. So, this in mind... I'm not ready to pull the panic plug just yet on this team. I mean, don't forget the New England Patriots lost to the Detroit Lions in a year they won the Super Bowl three years ago. However, at the same time, question marks have to be raised. Absolutely. I I think regardless, this team will make the playoffs um, because you'll get those easy wins. This is a team that I don't see not making the playoffs. But you play in arguably the (laughs) toughest division in the NFL – and I think you need at least one or two of those big. You're not. I, the Rams are not going to win out. They're not going to win. I out was going to. I was going to allude to that after the NFC West is still very tough. The Arizona Cardinals, with I know Kyler and Nuke have been hurt over the past few weeks, but they're still eight and two. They're still a dog of a football team. This in mind, I mean, you can't write them off. However, at the same time, the path ahead is not exactly one of sunshine and rainbows. No, and you need to prove that you can beat teams like the Packers and Green Bay, even the Ravens. You need to beat a team like the Ravens that's not necessarily in your conference, and you'll only face if you meet in the Super Bowl. But that's a team that is very talented, one of the favorites out of the AFC, and one you should be able to beat if you think you're a Super Bowl contender. Uh, I know we didn't script about this, but 
Baltimore losing to Miami, that has to raise eyebrows on them. <laughs> it, it it does a little bit, I think, but with every team, the Titans lost to the Jets. And okay, we freaked good point. out and look at look at them. I'm I'm just saying I don't think every NFL team you're gonna have your bad weeks. It was a short week too. It was a Thursday night. I, I give the Ravens some slack, Liam. I, I I'm gonna clearly, cut some slack clearly. on this one. All right. Well, Cam Newton is back in a Carolina Panthers uniform. I gotta say, I'm happy for him. I I went on the show and said I appreciate everything he did while in a New England Patriots uniform. Didn't exactly work out great, but I still appreciate it nonetheless. So he's starting this weekend against. I'm blanking on who Carolina's playing, but give me one sec. Carolina. I'm trying to think. They're hosting the Washington football team. That's okay. a winnable game. So, do you see Carolina sort of climbing back into contention with the return of the one one-time MVP, Cameron Newton? Well, the NFC I think is tougher than the AFC. So if I'd agree they're with that. going to want a playoff spot, obviously wild card because I don't see them catching up to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is owning that division for as long as Tom Brady is playing for them. And as long as Jameis Winston is hurt. Yes, yeah. Um, And Trevor Simeon starting in New Orleans. But they might get a few wins, but I don't see them going on a big run and going 6-1 and the rest of the season, however many weeks there are, and making a big push for the playoffs. Cam Newton will be good. I don't think he'll be exceptional. If he proves me wrong, he proves me wrong. But that that's just me personally. I think he'll be good. He'll it's a nice story that he did this, that he's back as he yelled to the entire world on the 8K camera that was on fantastic. Fox. That was that was fantastic. That was great. But I don't think this is a playoff Cinderella story type of thing. So I look at the Panthers schedule and I think their next three games are all winnable. They have they host the football team. Then they go to Miami, which is a game they could very easily win. Then they host Atlanta. Atlanta, we saw what happened with them last night. We did. But their last four games are probably as brutal as it can get. At Buffalo, they host the Buccaneers. At the Saints, at the Buccaneers. Yeah. And in a... Loaded NFC that late in the season, playing those four games to close it out. I mean, I feel really bad for them because that is tough. I understand Carolina beat the Saints earlier in the season, but it's really, really hard to beat a team twice in a year. And I think that's going to show when Carolina plays the Saints in New Orleans in what could be a big game for the Saints as well. So this in mind, I again, I'm super happy for Cam. Really, really hyped he gets another shot. However, is Carolina going to... Pull a Super Bowl run out of thin. Uh, pull a Super Bowl run out of thin air. No. And you mentioned it's hard to beat a team twice in a season. Try doing it in the last four weeks when Tom Brady might need to fight for a playoff spot. Oh. He he. It, it might be a little tough for Cam Newton and the Panthers to win two just against a bit. Tampa. And you... just a bit. And I feel bad too because he's entering a gauntlet of a division with uh, only the greatest quarterback of all time. Mm-hmm. who is probably going to be playing really PO'd this week after what happened against the Washington football Absolutely. team. Absolutely. All right, well, you know who looked PO'd on Sunday? Patrick who? Mahomes. The Kansas City Chiefs obliterated the Las Vegas Raiders. I believe the score was somewhat 41-14. to 16, 41 to 14. It was 41-14, to 14 and the Chiefs have had an up-and-down season, to say the least. However, they've won three in a row. However... The three were against the Giants, the 
Jordan Love led Green Bay Packers, and the all-too-reeling Las Vegas Raiders. Goodness, what a dramatic season they have had. They have a huge test this weekend, Nick. The Dallas Cowboys uh-huh. at our head. In my opinion, the MVP of the National Football League and Dak Prescott. So, are the Chiefs back? And what do you expect from them this weekend? I don't think they're back. And I think it gets super tough this weekend because the Cowboys are still P.O. about the Broncos a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. I think they're still trying to get their revenge and people are looking at them and they just should have got shut out, honestly, against the Broncos. It was two late touchdowns that got the score to 30-16. But the Cowboys are a Super Bowl contender in my eyes. And you talk about it, they're led by Dak Prescott. They're led by Ezekiel Elliott, who's putting up big numbers after a couple seasons that have been injury-plagued and him not getting the respect he deserves because he hasn't been putting up those type of numbers. CeeDee Lamb is turning into a absolute number one receiver. The defense is ridiculous for the Cowboys. And the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes has been too inconsistent for me to say he's back. He's had a couple games throughout the season where he's looked good. Obviously, his best game was probably this past week against Vegas. But I I don't want to overreact and say the Chiefs are back. If they win this week, the Chiefs are back. The Chiefs might be back. They're ready for the playoffs and everything. Not yet. Not yet. I need to see something against Dallas. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. Dallas is definitely still reeling from what Denver did. I know you saw Mike McCarthy had some little bit more of a motivational tactic during practice this week, mm-hmm. but this is this might be a make-or-break game for both teams. If you're Kansas City, you can't win this game. I mean, how do you expect to beat the other big dogs in the AFC or even the NFC should you get that far? And if you're Dallas, this is a huge make-or-break game for you. You had the big win against... A Patriots team that honestly didn't know what they were doing a few weeks ago. By the way, eh, no, I'll save it for later. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, like I said, I I think Dak Prescott is the MVP of the NFL right now. And I hate saying that because I hate the Dallas Cowboys. And you know what else I hate saying? What you said. The Dallas Cowboys are Super Bowl contenders. Mm-hmm. Their offense looks just as good as any. The defense has been... So much better. Trayvon Diggs is an interception machine. Hasn't been in weeks in the most recent couple weeks, but at the beginning of the season, he was a football magnet. And if they can go on the road into arguably the most hostile environment in the NFL other than Gillette Stadium and beat Kansas City, I don't know how you can't label them as Super Bowl contenders. But if you're Kansas City and Mahomes lays another dud, I mean... Let's take a look at who Kansas City has lost to this year. Baltimore, L.A., Buffalo, Tennessee, four of the top-tier contenders in the in their respective conferences. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and when it goes back to the Cowboys, it seems like people try to find every excuse possible to not list them as Super Bowl contenders. But you look at the team, there's little flaws to this team. There aren't many areas of the Dallas Cowboys they look at and are iffy about when it comes to conference championship week, Super Bowl week, if they make it. And this is a complete team that if the Chiefs don't bring their A game like they did this past weekend, the Cowboys are going to run all over this Kansas City team. And then we'll come back on Monday and say, 
oh, the Chiefs aren't anything anymore. They're not going to make the playoffs, all, all of that type of stuff. So it's a big, big weekend for the Kansas City Chiefs. And one thing I will say about the Cowboys is that I think any sort of doubts, if you had them, were raced when they made Steve Belichick's defense look want to piss their pants the entire game <laughs> against the Patriots. I mean, that was a rough game to watch, but I'll tell you. I mean, I hate saying this. I really do. Do not sleep on this Dallas team. Now, I alluded to this earlier, but with New England's 25-0 victory over Atlanta last night, they sit at 7-4. and four. Buffalo sits at 6-3. and three. That's a virtual two-way tie atop the AFC East. And, oh boy, we have a battle. We were going to talk about this last week until I came down with the flu, but in week nine of the NFL season... I don't think I have been more surprised by a score like this all season. The Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Buffalo Bills 9-6. to And instantly, question marks went off in my head. Flashlights went off in my head. Can the Patriots win the division? I think it's possible. It, 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 definitely, it definitely is. Um, when you're led by Bill Belichick, I think any, anything is possible. And anything is possible, as that basketball guy from Boston said a few a few years ago in 2008 when his team won a championship, Kevin Garnett. Um, but no, the, the Patriots, the way they looked last night, it was the Falcons, but the defense, I mean, it's hard to shut out an NFL team. And the defense looked really, really good against the Falcons. Um, the numbers are a bit misleading because you had Felipe Franks out there for Atlanta, uh, throwing the ball t- literally to JC Jackson's hands. I think it was, it was Phillips. It was Phillips. F- Phillips. Phillips. J- Jackson had the interception before, right? The pick six. Uh, Ben Noy had the pick six. Jackson did have a pick in the game though. I, I believe, yeah, Jackson did have an interception, but no, this Patriots team and Mac Jones is getting better every week, which if you don't win a Super Bowl, I think that's a giant win if you're the new england patriots franchise the fact that mac jones has been getting better every year and then he's going to go into his second season the expectations are going to be really high for this team next year oh you, you know that right liam you know that the, the oh no team, yeah no yeah 10 10 wins you guys are going to need to get next year if you keep this up it's going to be a 10 win or bust season in 2022 for you guys uh first of all that defense got me 26 fantasy points last night so well, I'm, I'm aware i'm playing against them yeah <laughs> oh man that's well first of all that's that's absolutely brutal and you look at the patriots upcoming schedule the next four are tough tennessee at buffalo at indianapolis then buffalo again so you got two games left with the bills and a game left with the titans then you close out with Jacksonville and at Miami, which apparently Jacksonville is no longer a sure thing after what they did to the Bills. And it's Patriots-Dolphins in Miami. That's never a sure thing either. <laughs> However, at the same time, I mean, with how shady Buffalo has looked over the past two weeks, I mean, they didn't exactly light the world on fire against the Jets. Yes, 45-17 to is a comfortable win. However, at the same time, it's not what... 54 to 13 did is for the New England Patriots against the Jets and it is a it's an interesting weekend because it's Indianapolis at Buffalo the Bills are seven point favorites this Colts team is trying to claw their way back in it they haven't looked too impressive so I this is my game of the week that I will be watching out for in part because it has implications for the Patriots in part because I think it's just a intriguing football game it's also a postseason rematch but to answer mm-hmm. the question, yes, 
this team can win the AFC East. This yeah, team can I'm, make a deep I'm exci- run. I'm excited for that Colts-Bills game, too. The Colts, Jonathan Taylor is fun to watch. And the fact he's only in his second year in the NFL is ridiculous. It's it's tough for defenders to tackle that guy. Um, and it's going to be up for the Bills. I mean, if he runs all over the Bills, the Colts can stay in this game and possibly pull up an upset. Josh Allen has been really inconsistent this year. He's not putting up the MVP number. People thought he was a clear MVP this going into this season. He hasn't done that yet. No. He needs to have he needs to have a big six weeks to end the season. And I want to give a shout out to our guy Braden Reed, who before the season said Josh Allen was going to take a step back. Looks like you nailed it on that one, BT. <laughs> All Good right, job, now Braden. let's talk about let's transition into college basketball. I want to focus in on two teams in particular. We'll start with the Virginia Cavaliers who on opening night a week and a half ago were embarrassed by Navy 66 to 58 in what John Rothstein calls a typical buy BUI because Virginia paid Navy a ton of money to play them game and then they lose. And this past Tuesday they were embarrassed 67 to 47 on their home court. And Nick, this is a program that has been atop the ACC for the past for as long as I can remember and they just don't look like they have that same moxie this year. No, Virginia is a team that I always feel like I have questions about going into this season. They obviously won a championship a few years ago. I think it was 2019 they won. Yep. Um, but it's a team that doesn't score much. They never have. That hasn't been their philosophy, and it's worked. I mean, it's worked to not score, have these 50 to 40-something games. I mean – Against Syracuse my freshman year, it was the final score is 47-34 for crying out loud. Um, but I look around basketball in general, and it's three-point base now. And you expect a team that's only going to put up 50, maybe low 60s points every game. You wonder how many wins can this team get, especially in a conference like the ACC. And when you're going up against teams like Duke, North Carolina, maybe even Syracuse, if the way Syracuse has been shooting, not to be a little biased. Maybe <laughs> nope, no little, shame, no shame. A little biased. Um, I worry a bit about this Virginia team. And if they're losing to no-name squads in November, what are you going to do when conference play rolls around in January, February, and the season matters? And if you can't do anything in the ACC tournament, you have an okay year, the committee – and March is not going to look at you one bit. Uh, one thing I will say, I will defend them on this part, is that they have had a massive roster overhaul. I mean, gone are Sam Hauser, Jay Huff, and Trey Murphy, three huge pieces from last season's squad. I mean, heck, the only two were names I recognize on this squad are Kihei Clark, who's a very good distributor, and Reese Beekman. He's my who, height. He's my height. Exactly. <laughs> and Reese Beekman, who I only know because he hit a buzzer beater against Syracuse last year. And <laughs> I think you made an interesting point because the ACC is so much deeper this year than it was last year. Carolina is so much better. Duke with Banchero, I know they've had a rough week, but they're a lot better. Florida State is still solid. Syracuse is probably going to be one of the best junior teams in the country, and I don't say that. With homerism, they're 21 of 42 through two games. Joe Girard III is 8 of 8 from beyond the arc. You talk about a guy who feeds off crowd energy, that's Joe Girard for you in a nutshell. But in the grand scheme of things, also Wake Forest isn't bad. Like I said, the ACC is much deeper. And if Tony Bennett can't figure it out, I mean, they felt they were way out of the top 25 this past week. 
I mean, mm-hmm. is it too much to say that Virginia may not even make the tournament this year if they continue on this path? You know, maybe a Duke or a Kentucky of last season. No, not at all. I think if you don't win the games now that matter, when it comes to March, maybe you pick up a good couple ACC wins, but you have those bad losses on your resume. And as much as we're seeing with college football, it applies to college basketball as well. Those bad losses will affect you when it comes to tournament time. You won't be part of that 68-group pool. All right. Yeah, let's move on to another team I – I want to praise, and that's the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They've taken care of business in their first four games. But one of the games was against the Texas Longhorns, who were ranked number five at the time. And some obviously there have been questions in years past about Gonzaga's non-conference slate, or rather their conference slate, because, to be frank, it stinks. So I, I want to admire what they did. They play UCLA in Vegas next week, one versus two. Duke is headed out to Spokane next Friday. And then... On October, excuse me, December 4th, Alabama is headed to Seattle to play Gonzaga in a neutral site game. So, this is a stronger non-conference schedule than we've seen in years past for Gonzaga. Do you think it gets them over the hump come March? I think it does. I think um, having these games early on, I mean, Texas, top five team in the country, they had a lot of high expectations, and Gonzaga made them look silly. Drew Timmy, Timmy had 37 against Texas and did whatever he wanted against the Longhorns. And these games against UCLA and UCLA team that looks really good. They returned everyone from their final four squad from last year. And UCLA looks even better this year. So that one's going to be really fun. You've got Duke, of course, with Bancaro, like you mentioned earlier. Um, Is it pronounced Bancaro? That's what the commentators were saying during the game. I think it's Bancaro. I think it's Bancaro. I, I, I've been saying Banchero. So have I. I haven't, wa- I haven't watched a Duke game yet, but good to know. <laughs> I think Banchero. Um, good to you know. know. Gonzaga with Timmy. Uh, I'm a big Chet Holmgren guy. I love Chet Holmgren. I think if it's not Banchero, he's the clear number one pick in next year's NBA draft. Um, great on both sides of the ball. Gonzaga's a team that if they can get through this next month of games against Duke, Alabama – uh, and while also picking up the easy wins, this is a team that's legit the number one team going into the tournament and will be the favorites to win the title. Yeah, they were the favorites last year. And let's just make it clear. I know they didn't play too well in the championship game, but that was still a really, really good basketball team. Baylor was just that much better, and that's the truth of the matter. But I think them making sure they have that big rematch with UCLA is – good i it's at 10 p.m i best i voiced my displeasure with, <laughs> i voiced my displeasure with that at the top of the show so if you missed it go ahead and check that out but take, take a nap during the day liam take a nap <laughs> i mean i am going to the celtics game the night before so i think i'll be fairly rested because i'll be go. sleeping late but I mean, to your point i mean ucla duke bama those are no jokes especially especially the two former i know alabama's more of a football school but they have a really good basketball program now. They do. What Nate Oates has done has been remarkable, who, by the way, should come to Syracuse when Jim Beheim retires in 20 years. Yeah, I, I don't know when Beheim's retiring. So, yeah, Nate, Nate Oates, real quick, he thinks last year's program was one of the best ever at Alabama, and he thinks this year might beat that. 
So right. Alabama's uh, got a one thing I will team. say: Gonzaga also scheduled a matchup with. Texas Tech, the Red Raiders aren't what they are in years past. However, at the same time, they did make a national championship game three years ago. In fact, they lost it to Virginia. But, yeah, it helps. However, you can't help but be concerned. Because once you get into conference play, I mean, heck, maybe St. Mary's and BYU are going to be solid again. But Mm -hmm. they're still not, you know, the Dukes or North Carolinas of the world. Absolutely. All right, well, it's time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. 52 years ago today, November 20th, soccer legend Pele scored his 1,000th career goal. Pele led Brazil to three World Cups, is the all-time leading goal scorer for the Brazilian national team as well, and, in my humble opinion, is soccer's undisputed GOAT. You can disagree with me all you want. I'm not going to take it. And five years ago, uh, Monday, November 22nd, the name the Vegas Golden Knights was revealed as a 31st NHL franchise. It was their first season, and it was groundbreaking as the Knights, an expansion team, made the Stanley Cup final. That hasn't been done since. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what we saw with them was unbelievable, and it's created unfairly high expectations for the Seattle Kraken. Nick, I don't know if you're – I don't think you're a big hockey guy, but still, you can't deny – I watch it here and there. I watch it here and there later. What's your team? I I, I don't have a team. I'm I'm, I'm not – this. I used to be a Penguins fan. I used to be a big really? Sydney Crosby. I used to be a big Sydney Crosby fan, but I, I moved on from that. And I, I, I just I'll watch whatever is on TV. Hey, now they have a new partnership with ESPN. Sometimes I tune in. I'm there. You can hop onto the Bruins bandwagon. Thirty nine <laughs> years ago, Wednesday, November twenty fourth, Cal Ripken Jr. was named American League Rookie of the Year. Ripken holds the all time record of two thousand six hundred thirty two consecutive games played. Try saying that five times fast. Led Baltimore to the nineteen eighty three World Series title won two MVPs, and is in Shredden, Cooperstown. And 26 years ago, Friday, November 26th, Dolphins quarterback Dan Marino set a then-NFL record with his 343rd touchdown pass. Marino finished his career with 420 touchdowns. Nice. Good for seventh (laughs) all-time. Brady holds the record with 608 and counting. Yeah, and counting. Not done yet. Uh, I don't think he will be done for a while. Show is nearing its end, so... It's time for who you got, and we begin in the college football realm as it's a big one. Seventh-ranked Michigan State takes on fourth-ranked Ohio State. That's a noon start. TV will be on ABC. The Buckeyes are a 19-point favorite as the game is in Columbus. Nick, who you got? You know, as much as I want to pick the upset, I think it's Ohio State. They've been turning it up the past couple of weeks. Um, Michigan State has been good. Uh, but I think Ohio State has the edge. Ever since Ohio State lost to Oregon, it's like a switch was flipped on. They look like an entirely new team, and, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State runs the table. Will it happen? No, because Georgia's that much of a defensive dog. I mean, it's literally in their name. They are dogs. So <laughs> I, I got Ohio State winning this one. I think they're the undisputed best team in the Big Ten, but – don't be surprised if Michigan State keeps it close, but at the same time, they're just not on the same level that the Buckeyes are. All right, well, we move into the college basketball landscape. Gonzaga, UCLA, one versus two, 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Tuesday. Again, that's a terrible decision to play at 10 o'clock, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Who you got? 
Well, Liam, you'll be seeing the score in the morning when you turn on SportsCenter at 8 a.m. because you're not staying up till midnight, right? No, to, uh, I'm staying up. No, I'm staying up. You'll, you'll stay up anyways. You'll stay up anyways. It's 11:19 right now. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> I've, I've I've got UCLA in this one. I'm really high in the Bruins this season. Um, as much as I love Gonzaga and the way they've been playing, I think UCLA is the better team. Juzang, Hami Hakez Jr., who I love i love his name and i also love his play on the court tiger campbell um this is a ucla team that personally i think they are the favorite right now to win the championship and i've got them beating gonzaga i agree with you i think that ucla is going to be out for blood after what gonzaga did to them in mar in no it was in april excuse me i mean the likes some of the big pieces from that Zags team are gone, i.e. Kisper and Suggs, and they've been replaced by the likes of Holmgren and others. <laughs> Excuse me. I I just think that UCLA, I mean, they've impressed me more in the early going than Gonzaga has, if I'm being brutally honest. And, you know, I think it's going to be another thrilling finish. This time UCLA comes out on top. Juzang goes off for 25-10. and 10. I would love that. I would love that out of Johnny. Big Johnny guy? Absolutely. <laughs> all right, well, last one, Sunday Night Football. First of all, I'm going to be honest. I don't think the Sunday Night Football slate has been all too overwhelming, per se, since Brady and the Bucks. Oh, I don't want to talk about it against the Pats. <laughs> but this week, it's, it's a solid game. You got the Steelers and the Chargers, two teams in the AFC, fighting for playoff contention in a very jumbled-up AFC who you got in that one? I'm going to take the Chargers. Uh, they suffered a bad loss against Minnesota last week. <laughs> Herbert yeah. Her, yeah, Herbert didn't look like himself at all. I think he has a bounce-back game in this one. And for Pittsburgh, I don't know if they've recovered from tying with to the Detroit. Lions. I mean, you could have at least beat them on a field goal or something, but they couldn't. They tied with the Lions. They they were given 10 more minutes to maybe beat the 0-8 Detroit Lions, and they couldn't do that. You don't know if you have your starting quarterback back yet. You might have to go back to Mason Rudolph. The Steelers team, lots of questions with them right now. So personally, I want to pick the Chargers. Uh, I think they're the better team overall, and they have more uh, to win. I've also got the Chargers. I mean, I don't – I don't think it's certain that Big Ben will be back after dealing with COVID. And, but even still, even if they do have Big Ben, how can you not roll with the Chargers after what you saw the Steelers do last week? They didn't just tie. They tied at home <laughs> against the Detroit Lions. And shout out PJ Clark. You're my guy. But the Lions stink. They are going absolutely nowhere. They may not win a game. In fact, they probably won't win a game. And the fact that the Steelers somehow tied with them, even with Mason Rudolph as their quarterback, is, to be frank, unacceptable. It's pathetic. And you are telling me they're going to go into SoFi Stadium and win a week after tying the Detroit Lions? No chance. Uh, all I'm going to say, Liam, is you saying the Lions aren't going to win a game. That stresses me out for Broncos-Lions in December because <laughs> knowing the way the Broncos have played this season, the Lions might pick up that first win against Denver. Is the, game, was... is the game in Detroit or is it at – nope, it, at... it is in Denver. Okay, in okay. Denver. So, so say they won't win. We'll see. We'll see. All right, well, Nick, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks so much for coming on. You've been hella fun. Absolutely. Anytime, Liam.
All right, well, for Nick Zelaya, I'm Liam Griffin. Give us a follow on the gram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you want to be opposite me in Nick's shoes, get in touch with me. We'll make it happen. I know Nick's roommates are wanting to come on, so <laughs> we'll make that happen soon. But have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll have an episode come out next Saturday after the holiday. In the meantime, enjoy your turkey, enjoy your cornbread, enjoy your what have yous. We'll see you next Saturday.